resort. You are now tuned into Pulse Pounding with Mickey Dillon. Today's guest spent the entirety of her childhood and young adult life in the cult-like environment of Jehovah's Witness. At 24, she made the difficult choice to separate herself from her religious community, driving a wedge between her relationships with her parents, siblings, and friends. Knowing that the most important, closest people to her may or may not be allowed to have any level of communication with her, she packed up her life got an apartment, and essentially started over. Today, she's here to share how these experiences have shaped her, as well as the secrets the witnesses don't want us to know. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Spooky. Spooky. Welcome. Thank you for being here in your own apartment. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Me too. Are you nervous? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Are you nervous about being on this show or exposing the secrets? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely both. Well, we had a conversation before where we were just saying that, like, we don't want this to come off as we are attacking anyone who belongs to this community, because it seems like most people are not malicious, and they really just believe that what they believe is the truth, and that Mm -hmm. they're doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. and a little bit of, like, fear instilled in them of the world. I would say just, like, almost complete mind control. Like, a lot of their actions are not really because that's how they feel. Right. Mm -hmm. A little bit of brainwashing. Yeah. Right. But when we get to the top level, which we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. those bitches, okay, they are (laughs) not innocent. (laughs) No. Yeah. So, yeah, just a disclaimer. The people in this organization, most of them, like any group, there's always going to be ones that aren't good. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. most of them are very good people, very loving people, people I grew up with, people I still have a lot of love for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's give everyone like a little summary of what Jehovah's Witness is, because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners where this is the first time that they'll like dive into anything about this religion. Um, So yeah, give us like a little bit of a background and some of the things you were taught. So it is a branch of Christianity, which a lot of people don't know. I found that out in my research. I Mm -hmm. had no idea. Um, They do have some basic like core differences between say like Catholic or like Protestant. Mm -hmm. They don't believe in the Trinity. Um, They think that God is Jehovah. That's mm-hmm. Jehovah, like Jehovah's God's name. Right. It actually in Hebrew it's Yahweh, and they translate it to Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus is God's son, and we Love don't believe Jesus. that we do. <laughs> we really do. Um, but we don't believe. Well, we they don't believe that people go to like everyone goes to heaven or hell. We actually don't even. They don't even teach hellfire. Mm-hmm. Um, they teach that everything is going to turn into a big paradise earth, mm-hmm. that all the good people are going to live on this paradise earth forever mm-hmm. in perfection. There's going to be no more sin, no more um, sickness, mm-hmm. death, all of that. But to get there, there's going to be Armageddon, which is, you know, the end of the world. Right. And they think it's coming any day now, like mm-hmm. probably yeah, tomorrow. Like since the 70s. I since, was, I was reading since about that. 1914, actually. Right. That's the date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was a date in, I think it was 1975, where they actually predicted the end of the world. Right. And a lot of witnesses even like sold property and got into credit card debt because oh, they thought that the end was coming. Wow. And my dad, actually, he remembers that. He said that he remembered waking up one day being like, this is it. This is the end of the world, but obviously we're still here. Right. Um, so that wasn't the end of the world. But yeah, they've been teaching this forever and they call it the last days. Mm-hmm. And even more recently, um, back like 
when quarantine started because right. that was a of big course. deal for of them. Course. They were like, oh, here the it pandemic, is. here yeah. it is, you know? So I remember there was this one, they have this um, broadcasting service mm-hmm. that they put monthly and more than monthly, but they do a monthly broadcasting where they, um, the leaders of the religion get on and talk about pressing topics and things like that, mm-hmm. Bible discourses. And there was one, uh, I almost called it a skit, <laughs> <laughs> but there was one talk and he was like, we're in the last days of the last day of the last day of the last days. Well, like how many something... last days can exactly. there be? Like, yes. What are you talking about? Um, but so Armageddon is coming any day now. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, enough anyway. <laughs> honestly, at this point, like, let's just go. <laughs> let's, if if yeah. I'm unclean, just kill me now. Like, <laughs> well, I've we're ha- goners. I've so had it. We're yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So basically anyone who... They don't like to say anyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness won't make it, mm-hmm. but they make it very clear that's what they mean. Right. Because if, you know, if you don't follow the Bible and the Bible in the way that they see it, their interpretation of the Bible, and have a relationship with Jehovah God, um, and are not working towards being a clean person, right. basically, you're going to be exterminated. Well, that seems like a common theme in Mm -hmm. what they do, because based on what I researched, which we'll get into, I looked at the website, I watched a lot of stuff. They seem to like say a lot without saying it. Yes. Like they're not really directly telling you that this Mm -hmm. is what they mean, but it's clear in the messaging Mm -hmm. that that's what they mean. A hundred percent. They're very good um, at, I'd say like manipulation almost Mm -hmm. because and they even manipulate their own mem. Well, obviously they manipulate their own members, but something that people would always like to say is, "Oh, um, God reads hearts." Right. So at the end of the world, when Armageddon comes, God is going to read their heart. Right. But then the preaching work, you know, when people go knocking on doors, the way people re- really do know of Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Um, they call it a life-saving worth mm-hmm. work, and that at the end of the world, like when Armageddon comes. It's going to be because everyone got exposed to the message and that's when the end will come. Right. So if we all have to work to expose them to this message and save their lives, then why are you saying that only not only Jehovah's Witnesses are going to survive? Right. You know, it just doesn't really make sense. Right. Um, so, yeah. So Armageddon is going to come and everyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness or everyone who is sinning and blah, blah, blah is going to pass away, okay. unfortunately, um, Fun. by the angels and Jesus there's going to be a massacre. Right. Um, and then actually <laughs> the people who are left over, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses and all of the worthy ones, they actually have to even clean up all of the mess. Oh, well, how long is that going to take? Because there's a lot of sinners. <laughs> yeah. And they even say this is a little there's a lot of Jehovah's Witness doctrine. So it's hard to kind of just mm-hmm. describe it all. Yeah, at once. I heard it's ever changing, too. Yes, yeah. it is. They do change it a lot. We'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, but they even teach this kind of disturbing um, teaching that the birds are going to basically like decompose and eat. Oh, all of the dead people. Okay. It is very disturbing. Do they have you... any idea how long this is going to take? Because there's a lot of people. So that there's are a thousand die. year period. <laughs> so let me get this straight. They're doing all this work to survive, to clean up the mess, to die, to clean up the mess for generations. To co- They're yeah. not even going to make it to the exciting Well, I was actually world. just talking to one of my friends about this because she kind of asked me the same question. Like, oh, explain Jehovah's Witness teachings in, you know, five minutes. <laughs> um <laughs> But so after the end of the world, there's a thousand year period where we're all going to be growing towards perfection. Mm -hmm. And so basically, too, one of their big teachings is and it 
It doesn't really make sense because, of course, it doesn't make sense. But um, so if you're a sinner, sinner, mm-hmm. and you die at Armageddon, you're dead. There's no coming back. You're right. not burning in hell, but you're dead. Right. But if you were, if you died before Armageddon came and you weren't a Jehovah's Witness, you were doing whatever you wanted, you were in a different religion, you were atheist, whatever, um, you, you will be resurrected into paradise and given a second chance. Oh. So basically, like, if you're dead before Armageddon comes, like, good for you. You're going to live forever anyway. Right. But so during that, like, thousand year period, all of these people are going to start getting resurrected. And then the witnesses, the people who lived through Armageddon into the paradise, their job is to, yes, clean up the earth, make it a paradise, become perfect. Mm -hmm. And then also teach all of the people who got resurrected about Jehovah Hmm. and the Bible and their doctrine and the rules and, you know, how to live your life. And so then they get this thousand year period to teach, clean up the earth, all of that. And then there's another test. So after a thousand years, Satan, devil, um, who, again, there's a lot, but who right now, Satan is who's in control of the world, okay. according to them. Right. And that's why there's a lot of sickness, war. So they don't believe in hell, but they believe in the devil. Yes. Strange. Yeah. True. It is strange. What do they think he is? <laughs> um. So he's actually an angel mm-hmm. who turned to like okay. the dark side. So it sounds like they plagiarized a little bit of Catholicism. No, well, I mean, it's coming from this. It, it is coming from the same Bible, but right. it's just a different interpretation. So yeah. So when Armageddon comes, the devil goes into like mm-hmm. prison or whatever. Right. Like not hell. I feel like, no, not hell. That's not prison, but honestly, it's been what, eight months and I'm already kind of like rocky Good. on what they teach. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so after that, Jesus is actually in charge. It's his government. It's Jehovah and Jesus's government in okay. the new world. Um, and so then after a thousand years, they're going to release Satan back into the world and then basically test everyone again, including all the people who got resurrected. Mm. And then there'll be like one more big test. And if you make it through that test and you don't choose, you know, independence and to not serve God then you get to live on and then live in a real forever paradise like you're never going to die. Wow. Which in itself... This sounds like a reality show. This sounds like... It's intense. American Ninja Warrior. If you can make it through the fucking obstacle course, <laughs> you know? Give me a break. Yes. If you survive Armageddon, you have to still go through another couple mm-hmm. of tests. Yeah. What is more testing than the end of the world? Give me a break. Uh-huh. But, okay. um... Yeah, and they even talk... um And again, in this same like broadcasting, they talk about, they're like, oh, you know, people will be resurrected and they'll have to learn that their former lifestyles were not acceptable. And then, of course, they bring up, they're like, for example, a homosexual. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. they don't have to resurrect me for me to realize that I'm a (laughs) sinner and my life is questionable, I'll tell you that. Yeah, so there's a lot of teachings. Um, But then basically, the reason, you know, the thing that they're all holding on to is this perfect world right that is going to be on the earth now just with no badness and right. you're never going to die you're never going to get sick you're never going to get old you're just going to live forever you're just going to live every day forever in a paradise right. which honestly who wouldn't want that i mean who would want that in a way yeah like i feel like if you live forever it kind of takes away the meaning of Agreed. life a little bit. I like the part of living in a paradise, not forever. Maybe yeah. for like a couple hundred years, like I a mean, witch. Who knows? You know? Like, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? I'm sure there are plenty of people who like the idea of right. living forever. I don't. But I don't know. Even as a kid, it seemed very just. 
I mean foreign to me because mm-hmm. it's just something we don't know. Okay, but... well, that brings me to my next question. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Setauket. Okay. Oh, I Long Island. It's fine. Yeah, I grew up in Long Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you live in like a neighborhood of Jehovah's or do you just like live in a no, normal so, house? Yeah, I live in a normal, like normal house, uh, normal community. I went to public school, mm-hmm. which again, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses don't go to public school. Right. A lot of them are homeschooled. But right. I did kind of grow up in a, I'd say more progressive Jehovah's Witness family. Okay. They let us do a lot of things that weren't really like by the books. Right. Um, so I did go to public school. So they were already involved in the religion before you were born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How so, many generations does this go back in your family? So my dad, he was technically not born a Jehovah's Witness, but okay. his mom converted as I think he was like five. Mm-hmm. So he basically was born a Jehovah's Witness. He got raised in it, but his dad never actually became one. Okay. So they were like a you know mixed faith right. household. Mm-hmm. Um. And my mom actually grew up Catholic in a very like Italian Catholic family. Okay. And she converted when she was 18. Before she met your dad. Before she met my dad. So they met okay. as Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. Okay. Most like so as a Jehovah's Witness, you really date and marry other Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. It's not like you can technically again, there's a lot of like technicalities, right. you know, so if you do choose to marry someone or date someone who's not a witness, there's a lot of like repercussions around it right. a bit um like social repercussions mostly but yeah so they met as Jehovah's witnesses i think they met at like a party okay um but yeah so my mom became a Jehovah's witness when she was 18 the first in her family okay and then like years following her sister joined her other sister joined her other sister joined then my grandma joined mm-hmm. so the only your people, mom's mom mm-hmm. okay yeah so the only people in my family who aren't Jehovah's witnesses are one of my uncles and my grandfather okay. and my other grandfather, but he's passed. Right. Yeah. Okay. So most of them are Jehovah's Witnesses. So growing up, I was raised a Jehovah's Witness with my two brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all I really knew. Right. So it wasn't weird to me, really. Of course not. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it got weird once I started getting a little older and got exposed to more different people. Right. And by weird, I mean more of I felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. about the fact that I was a Jehovah's Witness. And especially doubtful. And doubtful. Right. I remember, so I got, you don't get baptized when you're born into the religion. You get baptized, like, they kind of pride themselves in the fact that they don't baptize babies. Right. And they're like, oh, you get to choose if you join this religion or not. Right. You get to choose to vow your life to God. Right. Um, but at the same time, there's so much pressure to get baptized at a young age right. that most of us get baptized before the age of 18. Right. So we're getting baptized as children, right. making this lifelong choice Commitment. to vow our life. Right. And there's a lot of repercussions if you leave. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm baptized right. into the Catholic Which Church. Which is more that we're going to get into. Yeah. yeah. So you're, I made that decision at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And like, it's... Questionable, Again, like to yeah, yeah. Right. Why was I allowed? At, I'm I'm still mad about it. Right. <laughs> why was I allowed to dedicate my entire life at the age of twelve to anything? To anything. Right. It just makes no sense. What but, is your earliest memory of the religion? Um, I actually so I've been doing a lot of I've been doing a lot of thinking mm-hmm. um over these past year mm-hmm. two years so it's been and a I, year since you officially left so i left in july so it's going on a year uh, almost a year yeah okay. going on a year but it's been i mean i would like to say that i've had doubts my whole life for right. sure um but it's been about like two years where i've been seriously considering okay leaving like knowing i had to make a change right. knowing something was wrong um but i really think one of my earliest memories as a Jehovah's witness is 
Um, and it's they instill a lot of fear in you. And it's something that I've been talking about, too. So a lot of, you know, religious groups, they they separate what they teach children and they separate what they teach adults. But we're all taught the same in the same meeting. We hear the same thing as adults do. Mm -hmm. So there are topics that, you know, go into like sexual immorality and the end of the world, Armageddon, things that I feel like aren't really appropriate for a toddler. Right. And so I remember one of my first memories was actually at Nassau Coliseum because we used to do our big conventions there once a year. They have a convention. It used to be longer, but now it's three days. And you go to some sort of, they used to do it at Nassau Coliseum. Now they do it in Queens locally. Um, And it's like a three-day long church Mm -hmm. event, basically. And they do these Bible dramas. And I remember there was this Bible drama and there was this woman who got possessed by a demon. And it was terrifying at the age of what? I think we stopped going to Nassau Coliseum when I was like six. So it was very young. So I remember that was one of my first memories just because it was so scary for me. And I had like nightmares about it for so long. And like just things like that where I feel like a child really shouldn't be, you know, you would never put on like the exorcism for like your four year old. -old, Yeah. (laughs) Not that it was that intense, but you know, for a kid. Yeah. But that was one of my like core memories as a child with like as a first memory, but I don't know. I remember from a young age, like going door to door, Right. you know, that was a big thing. Right. Every week we would do that on Saturdays. How old were you when you started doing that? A baby. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, they would, you know, my mom would bring me with her. Right. Yeah. So as, as little as I could, you right. know. And then as you get older, do you start doing that on your own? Yeah. So I actually, um, I started doing it on my own and I, I was pretty like, I was pretty devoted to the religion. Right. And in a way, it's almost, I'm kind of happy I gave it my all for a while because, you know, I gave it a good try. I didn't right. just, I don't know. But so when I was actually in middle school, there are different like, I like to call them like tiers. Okay. As a woman in the religion, you can't really do too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have any like position of authority. Right. You can't um, give talks and discourses and even in like their headquarters, you can't be like on a lot of their like right meeting you know yeah. you know what i'm trying to say a lot of things that i watched what which was they would show in a documentary um some of the i don't know if it was from a website or if it was what it was but it was their some of their leaders from the watchtower society i guess that mm-hmm. would um give these talks and it was it almost looked like a television show yeah and they would talk about how women are supposed to kind of play the back role yeah. and be devoted to their husbands and do whatever they say. And this yeah. is the teachings that are going out to the people who follow this religion. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Women are submissive. Yeah. You in know? modern times, mm-hmm. too. In the time of feminism. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. kind of hard. Uh, it's like hard for... I remember because I was in it and it was hard for me to explain and it was also hard for me to grasp right because that's just never who i was right. you know i felt like i always had two brains like one was my jehovah's witness brain that i was indoctrinated into all of these beliefs right and this is how i thought the world worked and this is what i thought was happening and then there was my actual brain mm-hmm. which was what i actually thought and how i actually felt and my real morals and i feel like since i've always had those two aspects of my personality that's why it's been so e- has been easy but it was very easy and quick for me to kind of fall into who I am now because right. it was kind of just, oh, this is who I've always been in a way. Um, because 
it was always something hard for me to grasp. Like, no, men and women are equal. Right. Like, why? And, you know, I remember even one time my grandma was like, you should never get married. And I was like, why is that, grandma? And she was like, I can never see you respecting a man. And right. I was like, first of all, like, <laughs> OK. Um, but, you know, like there was a, there was some truth in it. Obviously, I respect like I respect men, but I'm not going to let a man tell me tell how, to how to live my life. Yeah, and and I'm not like going to be some servant to a man. Right. And I'm not saying that's how they really operate. But it is they say, you know, the head of every woman is a man. Right. And the head right. of every man is Christ. Yeah, so it like seems it's a little, like, yeah. It seems like what is a woman without a man is yes. is what they believe. Yeah. Talk to me about the monthly service reports. Oh, okay. So that is with the um ministry, mm-hmm. like the door to door work that they do. Okay. So they want you to record all the time that you did preaching. Right. So if you went knocking on doors like knock, knock, knock. Um for like two hours on a Saturday, you would record that, but then you would also record how many like magazines and pamphlets you left. Right. And you would also record how many people you spoke to more than once. So they call them like return visits. Right. So if I like went to your door and you took my magazine and then I would come back the week after and see how you liked it, like right. you'd record that. Um, and then you'd record amount of Bible studies that you did. So like, you know, people you studied the Bible with. Right. Um, and it was always weird to me why they wanted us to rec- like record it so much. Right. And now being out of it, I think it's just another form of control, right. you know, just and also accountability. Right. To be- make sure you're doing it. Yeah. You because you don't want to look stupid yeah. if you're not doing enough. And there was so a lot speak. of guilt over, you know, oh, I didn't get because there was like a monthly average. And right. usually it was like you'd average around 10 hours. You could also be a pioneer. So like as a woman, that was kind of like the big thing you could be you could be a pioneer okay which means you dedicate 70 hours a month to the service um and i did that for five years oh my god i know it's crazy (laughs) i know it's a lot of time yeah so i actually did that from age 18 to 23 Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound right okay 18 19 20 21 22 okay okay um and i had to stop because i was actually in college And I wasn't, you know, they don't really love the fact that I was in college. So the way I justified being in college was actually also being a pioneer, Mm -hmm. like in my head, because I felt guilty about it. And so I was like a full time student and also dedicating 70 hours a month to like go knocking on doors. Yeah. So it was a little stressful. Um, And then at the end of my pioneering, the reason I stopped was I was just so overwhelmed and like so burnt out. Right. And I remember being like, I need to graduate school, but I also don't want to like give up my service to god right but in the end i did and i felt really guilty about it at the time but now i'm like why did i spend all that time doing that (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about some of the strange rules that you're supposed to follow as a jehovah's witness because i read some crazy shit i want to know um so i read that you're not supposed to have non-witness friends yeah. I read that you are not supposed to involve yourself in any quote unquote unclean practices mm-hmm. such as joining the military, mm-hmm. engaging in premarital sex, yes. which oh, LOL. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking, drinking mm-hmm. and receiving blood transfusions. Yeah. And that's the one that's weird to me. And yeah, we'll get into that. It's dangerous too. Um, and failure to comply with these rules can lead you to disfellowshipping and shunning. So let's talk about the rules first. Yeah. So there's a lot of like 
black and white roles and there's mm-hmm. a lot of unspoken roles. Right. So a lot of the ones that you went into went into are very like, yes, if you do this, you will get kicked out. Like right. having sex before you're married. If right. they find that out or you turn yourself in, which happens a lot more than you think it would because of all the guilt that's right. associated with it, you will unless you're repentant and like deemed repentant by right. these Who? men. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Right. Like you could say you're sorry, yeah. but they'll be like, mm, mm-hmm. actually, I don't think you are. Yeah. Um bastards. And, <laughs> yeah um but so yeah that will definitely get you kicked out um the having friends outside of the religion that's like a gray area right because what happened when you went to public school yeah so we were taught that those weren't really our friends okay those who were, just... were they <laughs> <laughs> i remember one time um on like the platform they were giving a talk and one mm-hmm. of the elders was like I got really worried the other day because one of our young ones referred to their friends from like a a peer of theirs at school as a friend. Right. No brothers and sisters. Like these are our friends. Right. That's an acquaintance. So you would be my acquaintance, you know. Okay. Yeah. I'm so, fine with that. <laughs> and a lot of people really follow that like follow that 100 percent, right, where they right. only associate with other Jehovah's witnesses right that's something that growing up my family was a little bit more lax with okay so i did have some friends in school but the funny thing is i had these friends in school and i loved my friends in school but i would be guilty about the fact that i had friends in school because if anyone ever saw me like they caught me with friends that weren't jehovah's witnesses it would be like gossip to them and they have a word for people who aren't jehovah's witnesses they call them worldly people okay so they'd always say you know you have to be careful of worldly people that sounds like a compliment exactly i know that's like it's it's a nice word it's not really they use it as this villainized worldly i'd be Mm -hmm. like wow thank you thank you so much it would make me feel intelligent i know no one's calling the one thing you did actually say in the beginning that i wanted to just correct not correct but um i didn't move out when i left the religion i moved out actually before i left the religion with a witness okay yeah so i remember when i left the religion she left the apartment and she left the apartment i remember one thing she said to me was i'm living with a worldly person now oh my god i know that's what a stupid (laughs) (laughs) okay so you can't engage in any of these activities Mm -hmm. otherwise you will be disfellowshipped I was doing some research and I came across the statistic that about 70,000 people per year are disfellowshipped. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah, in the world, because I I didn't realize that there was so many different countries where they have like headquarters. Mm -hmm. It's pretty international. Yeah. Yeah, People don't realize that. Super. There's eight, I think, eight million members now. Some shit like that. Yeah. I had Mm -hmm. no idea anything about this other than like obviously growing up. People would come door to door from time yeah. to time. And that's all like us worldly people mm-hmm. really know about it. Besides yeah. that, like you guys don't have birthdays and that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, 70,000 people a year are disfellowshipped. Tell us about what that means. So when you're disfellowshipped, it is basically kind of like excommunication. Mm-hmm. So they'd be there will be an announcement on the platform that says so and so is no longer a Jehovah's Witness. And then after that announcement, everyone doesn't talk to you anymore. Right. And that includes like your family, that includes all your friends. And like you said, like we were touching on before, most Jehovah's Witnesses don't have any friends outside of the religion. So that's your entire social circle. Right. And so after that announcement, until you get deemed repentant by three men, um, you're basically shunned by everyone you know. Right. Yeah. So that's just fellowship. That's crazy. So your family and uh, your friends and the closest people to you, Mm -hmm. most of which you would have in your life for your entire life thus far, 
just cut you off yeah. and they're not allowed to speak to you, mm-hmm. which seems to me like more of a fear tactic and yeah. more control. I to, think it's just emotional manipulation, honestly, to get to, people to come back. And to obviously. keep you in it. Yeah. yeah. And they even say they're like, you know, you have they have a lot of talks and stuff and a lot of literature they put out about being strong in the disfellowshipping arrangement. It's a loving re- arrangement that brings people back to God. Um and they even say like a little bit of communication could be enough to like satiate them where oh they won't God. have to return. Okay. And, you know, it's hard because a lot of people, when they hear things like that, they're like, oh, well, I would never do that. Right. You know, and I get that to a point because, you know, no one ever thinks you're going to be the one shunning your family right. member. 100%. But when you're like so involved and so like a hundred percent this is the truth this is what's right like it gets to you right you know and i mean i don't like to admit it but i've done it to people you know i've had people i know who are in my congregation they got this fellowship and yeah i stopped talking to them right and i felt shitty about it right and i hated it but i did it so like you know they really control these people well aren't you also almost required to report on other people's behavior mm-hmm. if they're doing shit. Yeah, so that's how a lot of things come out. Um, I remember, like, there there were times, too, where I'd be, like, we call it, like, back rooms where the elders would, you know, bring you to the, the back room. The elders are kind of like priests? Yeah, I, I guess. They're, like, the men in charge of the congregation. Like of your... Of our, like, church. Right. I, I, we don't call it church. I know it's not a church, but, yeah, I know. but for reference mm-hmm. point, they yeah, have... Church kingdom hall mm-hmm. and those are all over the place yeah from our location long island there's like at least 20 yeah there's there's quite a lot there's yeah. a lot mm-hmm. and those are essentially like their church they don't call it a church yeah so it's the men in, char- in charge of the church right. basically and they do their meetings there mm-hmm. and, they and they're have... the ones who give most of the discourses but they also do have ministerial servants who are like one rank below elders okay but elders make all the big decisions they handle who gets disfellowshipped or not right they can handle who gets reinstated which right. is what they call it when you get back into the religion um and then at these halls they do meetings which almost look similar to a mass yeah but it's in the hall the midweek meeting would be more like tailored for jehovah's witness members right and they even would have um there's a whole part of the meeting where we do like mock door-to-door like preaching to each other on stage yeah rehearsing basically ridiculous kind of strange okay and then they'll do like a book study where they read a book and it's like question and answer and then sunday is the more like mass like church where they have you know their sunday meeting discourse right and then they also have another like um interactive kind of where you could comment and got it raise your hand and like a meeting yeah meeting okay but yeah, the elders are in charge of the Kingdom Hall. Okay, back church. to your back rooming. What happens there? Oh, yeah. So um, there were a couple times and it was like over very little things. There was, um, like you said, drinking. So you are allowed to drink, but okay. you have to drink in moderation. So who who sets the moderation? Exactly. It's just very, <laughs> there's there's a lot. What would you consider moderation? <laughs> Not getting drunk, okay. basically. Well, sometimes so, I do that accidentally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If you're caught getting drunk a lot, you could actually get disfellowship for that. Right. Um, so there was a couple times where one of my friends got drunk at a party or something, like mm-hmm. a Jehovah's Witness party. Like, it's not a... Ooh, Ooh. I want to go to one. Yeah, they're kind of... Listen, they're, you know, there's some good people. Like, I had a lot of friends I really cared about and had fun with. Of course. Like, I can't negate all of that time in my right. life as, like, horrible. Of course. 
but um yeah like i'd have to go and talk to the elders and they'd ask me questions about my friend and we're like how many drinks did they have and did you see them get sick and like oh all these God. questions mm -hmm. grow up yeah it was very like um there was a lot of spying on each other because we were even taught that if we saw sin happening and we knew of sin happening that we would be as guilty as the sinners and we'd also die well i mean in my sicilian family we were taught not to rat people out yeah. and mind your fucking business uh -huh. <laughs> i know i know it was hard but um there was even a time this is embarrassing but i turned myself into the elders for doing what for drinking Blow actually. jobbing yes <laughs> no no, no. i was a good Jehovah's girl <laughs> <laughs> for drinking for drinking oh yeah i know i was like guilty because you got fucked up <laughs> i did get fucked up um but one of my friends he got drunk at my house and someone found out somehow and i had to go talk to the elders about it right and he ended up getting in trouble he didn't get this fellowship there's one other i like to call it um public shaming because okay. it's basically Ooh. yeah naked no okay. no not that intense no but they basically go on stage and say so and so has been reproved mm -hmm. so that means the whole congregation the whole church knows that you did something bad but they deemed you repentant enough but like you're still kind of bad association and not to like hang out with them socially yeah but you could still talk to them but only at like religious meetings that's crazy i know so i actually that kind of happened to me when i left the religion but i got publicly marked which I know. That's why I like you. That's why we get along. <laughs> mm -hmm. So around the time that I left, I told a few of my friends that I was leaving and I gave them a couple of reasons why I was leaving. And because of those reasons and also the fact that I got a tattoo mm -hmm. and I pierced my nose and I dyed my hair pink at the time. Oh, um, they must have loved you. Yeah. They got on stage actually and gave a whole talk about me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And were you I there? I, well, I actually, it was on Zoom. So, so at that point I had stopped going to meetings, but I found out that they were giving a talk about me. Mm -hmm. So obviously I had to tune in. Tune in. Yeah. yeah. Where they didn't use my name, but they made it very obvious. You know, like who else in the church? Right was had a nose piercing and looked on these like worldly styles they called it but and had then, you left at this point or not yet i did leave yeah okay. but i didn't formally leave right. so i'm not disfellowshipped i didn't disassociate which is the way to like basically disfellowship yourself okay which is when you write a formal letter to the elders in your church mm -hmm. and say hey i don't want to be Jehovah's witness anymore and then they give you this they give the same announcement that a disfellowshipped person would get like so and so is no longer a jehovah's witness right so the same kind of punishment would right. ensue where like everyone would shun you so, so i didn't actually do that i just left myself so that's why you're careful about what you do and what yes. you say mm -hmm. because there's still a possibility where that you they can, can be formally disfellowship yes and then your family's not supposed to talk to you yes so at this point you still have a relationship yes. with your family at this point i still have a relationship with my family um, but all of my friends and all of the people I grew up around, they no longer speak to me. Okay. It's, but my family does. Mm -hmm. But after I got marked, things were a little like rocky. Okay. Because, um, it, they did say in this marking talk that they were only, you weren't supposed to associate with me in any context outside of if I came back to meetings. Okay. So like you weren't supposed to hang out with me socially anymore. Right. Like have me, they even said like, don't invite them over your house and don't go over their house. Right. Like things like that. Right. And that even applied to my family. So I remember right after that um, talk was given and again, it really shook me up. I was very upset about it. Yeah. I would um, imagine. Yeah. And I remember. And these are people that you've spent your life around. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. this is your community. The person who gave people. the talk was someone I looked at as like a family member. Right. You know, 
Yeah. So it definitely did hurt my feelings. I wish it didn't as much as it did. But I remember the day after my mom like called me and was like, we were having my whole family over my mom's house. And she was like, yeah, I don't think you should come. And I was like, what do you mean? Right. And she was like, yeah, I don't know how your family feels about like seeing you anymore wow. because of the marking. And I remember that like destroyed me. I was in such a horrible place for a few days. Yeah, I would imagine. And I had to do a little bit of damage control, actually, because at that point, um, when I had left, this happened very quickly. So it was in July. And this probably happened in like August, the marking. Right. Um, and so at that point, I had kind of dodged all the elders. I kind of just ghosted them all. Like right. they were trying to call me because they heard through the grapevine that I told people I wasn't going to meetings anymore and I didn't really want to be a Jehovah's Witness anymore. Right. Um, but I hadn't told them directly because I didn't want to get disfellowshipped. Right. They wanted to meet with me and I didn't respond. But then I finally just responded and said I wasn't ready. So I never really said no. Right. But then when they did this marking talk and I my parents asked them like why they didn't talk to me first about it. They're like, oh, well, she like kept saying no to us. And I was like, I looked back at the messages. I was like, I actually never said no. I just said I wasn't ready to talk. Right. And then you went ahead and made all of these opinions about me. Right. Okay, so this is where things got weird. We were recording and we were just supposed to do one session all the way through. That did not work out. Why? Because something weird was going on in her house. All of a sudden, I started getting this like weird feedback noise in the headphones, which has never happened to me before while I'm recording. And like my setup is mobile. So I put all my shit in a fucking backpack pretty much and just take it to wherever I need to go to record. So it's not like I use different equipment when I do interviews or anything like that. It's always the same. So this had never happened to me before, but there was some crazy like feedback noise. It was in the headphones and I couldn't tell if it was in the recording. So I was trying to figure out what it was and how I could fix it. I immediately thought it was my like XLR cables, which are the cables that connect the microphone to the recording box. Um, so I was like, ah, oh, fuck, these were like cheap anyway. And I wanted to get the better ones. So I literally got in the car with my guest. I was like, let's go. We're going to Guitar Center. Went on an adventure. It was literally like 8.49 when we left her apartment. And Guitar Center closes at 9. And it's exactly 10 minutes away. So I am speeding and driving like a goddamn lunatic to make it to Guitar Center. And we're like two minutes away and it is 8.59 and I call them and I'm like, do you have these XLR cables? They're Mogami Golds. They're like really good ones. They're like $74 a piece. I'm like, do you have Mogami Golds? And they're like, yeah, we have them in all different sizes. I'm like, I am speeding to you, speeding to you before to get there before you close. And he's like... Please don't, <laughs> please don't speed. We'll, we're here. Like, it's fine. So you like over the phone, he like grabbed me what I wanted. And I ran in there at nine o'clock on the dot, grabbed the wires, paid for it. Thank you to the people at Guitar Center. I ran in there. I was like, this is an emergency. <laughs> what kind of fucking emergency could you be having over a goddamn XLR cable? So I got those and we are driving back to the house and I'm like, uh, really sorry about the inconvenience, but like so glad we got that. Thank God they were open and I got the cables. We get back to the house and plug the new cables in and the same fucking sound is going. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? I just spent like $150 on these two cables and you're telling me that's not the problem? So now I'm like, I don't know what it could be. This goes on for like a solid half hour, not including the time it took to get to Guitar Center. And at that point, I'm like, it must be my PodTrack P4, which is like the little piece of equipment that 
records the audio. I'm like, it must be this fucking box. So after like a, a solid half hour of, of trying to wiggle this thing around, I just gave up. And I was like, we're going to have to finish this next week. Sorry. Meanwhile, she's in the middle of packing up her whole entire fucking apartment to move to Brooklyn on literally June 1st. So originally we couldn't even do it this week because she had no time. So we were going to have to work it in somehow. So I go home. And I'm all pissed, right? And my boyfriend's like, how'd the interview go? And I'm like, fuck this. Fuck this whole thing. I was pissed. So I pull out the equipment and hook it up to try to, like, figure out what the problem is and if I need to send, like, my box equipment back to the manufacturer and get a new one. And I plug it all in, and it's working literally perfectly fine. I'm like, what the fuck? So I texted her, and I'm like, we'll just try again next week. But, like, I don't fucking understand why when I got home, everything was working perfectly. So I just chanced it. And went back to her house with my normal equipment and everything worked fine for the second session. So I don't know if that house is haunted. I don't know if the goddamn Jehovah's have her motherfucking phone tapped and they heard what we were talking about and they sent some sort of electronic waves through the phone to fuck up my signal. But it was not good and I was not happy. So <laughs> here we are to continue this interview during our second session, which sounds like we are literally in the PVC tube at the playground that the kids cross through because she had already packed up her entire apartment from the week prior and it literally sounded like we were in a plastic bubble so here you go enjoy tell me more about when you went to college because we talked earlier about how like higher education is not really encouraged because you don't need money where you're going and all that stuff um, so what was your family's reaction like and what were the reactions of the people that you were studying with at that time? Yeah, so my family actually was very supportive of me going to college, which I did grow up in a family, like I mentioned before, we didn't really, I guess you'd say, follow all of the black and the more gray area rules mm -hmm. as much as other people did. So my parents actually encouraged me to go to college, but it was a big deal with the outside community. Like my extended family really wasn't that supportive. Right. Um, a lot of people in the congregation. I remember one question people would ask me, they'd be like, well, what happens if the end of the world comes while you're still in college? Like, then why did you even go through that? Right. So I'd have to be telling them, oh, well, you know, well, if the end of the world comes, it's okay if I don't <laughs> finish my degree. <laughs> um, and then especially, um, I'm an acupuncturist. And mm -hmm. when I started that program, a lot of people did talk to me about the fact that I was getting involved with spiritism. And right. there was, even though acupuncture and spiritism i don't really you know it's kind of separate it's yeah. very separate <laughs> it doesn't sound like the same thing <laughs> but at all. you know they thought it was a bunch of voodoo, so right that was a big reaction but i remember having to go to a lot of the meetings and the assemblies and i'd be sitting in the audience and they talk about you know not pursuing higher education and pursuing more god like god's goals and right. not pursuing higher education because we didn't need these degrees when we got into the new world so right. having to sit through that it really did actually affect me it, it I felt really guilty throughout the process, actually. Right. Yeah. So how do witnesses make money? If they don't go to college, <laughs> do they work? What kind of jobs do they have? Like, where do they make the money to, A, donate, which is what they're supposed to do, and B, 
support their households because they obviously need a place to live and they have kids to raise. Yeah. So a lot of them are actually very well off. A lot of them own their own businesses mm-hmm. and a lot of like construction and trade fields they, pers- they pursue. Okay. And they even say, oh, we're going to need a lot of construction workers in the new world to help mm-hmm. rebuild the world. And we're going to need, you know, they even say like, we're going to need construction workers. We're going to need plumbers. We're going to need all of these things, but we're right. not going to need doctors. We're not going to need lawyers. So, right. you know, kind of trying to pursue, trying to make people pursue more practical trades. Okay, so I also read that the funds are collected through voluntary donations. Yeah. Is that true? Like mm-hmm. how much of it is really voluntary and how much of it is like you're technically volunteering, but if you don't, you're kind of ridiculed or looked at differently? Yeah, so again, it's a lot of um I'd say like heavy persuasion. So right. they don't actually they really pride themselves in not doing collections. You know, they don't have a bowl that they pass around during their services, but they have donation boxes in the back of the churches, kingdom halls. Right. Um, and you're encouraged to donate. And they give a lot of, again, discourses where they say even the poorest among us must donate. And they have a scripture that they like to reference about, you know, this, I don't want to butcher it, Mm -hmm. but, you know, a scripture about donating your money. Um, But of course, it's, you know, there's a lot of people who get a little upset about the way that they tell people to donate because they're telling even, because we have, there are witnesses all throughout the world, right. even in the poorest, most third world countries. Right. And they're telling them that you need to donate, doesn't matter how little you have, but right. the people on top of the organization are millionaires. Okay, so yeah, let's move <laughs> yeah. into that as well. The Watchtower Society, mm-hmm. what is that? So it's basically the headquarters of the whole organization. And I've mentioned them, I think, throughout this, but the mm-hmm. governing body who are the head of the organization, they live there. Right. And that's where they publish all of their literature. That's where a lot of people go and um, they live there, actually. And like they live and serve their lives there to work um, for free. Right. <laughs> but I guess it's not for free because they do provide board. Um but yeah, that's the basic headquarters of the religion of the world, the Watchtower Society. Okay, well, they're mm-hmm. super rich. And it's yeah. so funny because if you dive into some research about like who they are, what they do, and how they make money, they paint it as though they are just these volunteers on behalf of God and that they are directly speaking with Jehovah, mm-hmm. which is God. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow they are finding the funds to purchase billions of dollars in real estate for mm-hmm. headquarters, properties, and various different things. In 2009, they purchased 100 acres of land in Rockland County, mm-hmm. New York, for $11 million. In 2013, they purchased a 240-unit luxury apartment building in upstate New York that was estimated to cost $57 million. Wow. And in 2016 alone, they purchased three properties that were estimated to cost between $850 million and $1 billion. And again, these are properties that are referred to as their headquarters. Mm-hmm. And that's like a tenth yeah. of the real estate that I found. No, it's a real estate business, really. And they like buy and sell... But the fact that you're able to purchase a billion dollars in real estate in one year Mm -hmm. tells me that that's far from all the money you have. Mm -hmm. And where is that money coming from? I guess us. The people who uh, Mm -hmm. who they are convincing to donate all their money. And they actually use a lot of that money. I know that we're probably going to get into it to settle a lot of court cases, too. 
Okay, let's mm-hmm. move on to that. Well, first of all, this is insane to me that they have this much money to spend yeah. on basically their and version of churches. Yeah, and something that I always like to point out is if the world's ending tomorrow, why are we buying all this fucking real, real estate? Real estate, <laughs> right. If the world's going to end any exactly. day. Why you... are we doing all of these construction process, right. like, um, projects that are set to end in five to ten years when the world's going to end tomorrow? I'm confused. Any day now the world's mm-hmm. going to end. Yeah, but so. it's so important to purchase all these properties. Yes, on the donations of the poorest people in the organization. It's so crazy to me. And there's like no record of them ever explaining that situation. No. They'll just like pretend it's not happening. Yeah, we don't really hear. I mean, we do hear about it, but I guess we don't really think about when I was in it, at least I didn't think about where the money came from. Right. Yeah. I didn't think about the fact that the organization was a multi-million dollar company. And they're also, since they are um, like a religious organization, they don't have to pay any taxes right, on that money too. Right. Yeah. Did you ever hear anyone question that? Like, did you ever hear anyone question, like, the money that they were spending? Did yeah. anyone else, like, this information is readily available I know, on the but again, we're just so told not to look into anything on the internet that is not published by us, like oh, the well, organization. Doesn't that make sense Exactly, now? it's so... <laughs> Unbelievable. So when you're in it, no, we don't, they don't really talk about that, but well, the, they it, also, they have so many ways of making us not talk about things like that. They'll even call it negative talk. You're not right. supposed to talk negatively about the organization, so... Right. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. And so if those conversations were happening, they'd be very much behind closed doors. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was never really and exposed secretive. to those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting that when you Google Jehovah's Witnesses and start to look into it, the first thing that comes up is their website. Mm-hmm. And their website paints an entirely different picture than the experience that you're telling me and mm-hmm. some of the experiences that I read about from other people, which like, let's point that out too, because there are Reddit feeds, mm-hmm. there are various different places on the internet forums where other people are telling the same kind of story that you are. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously not made up yeah. if thousands of people from all over the place mm-hmm. have the same or similar story yeah. after they've left. But the way they kind of go about that is they just call that um apostate lies well i don't appreciate any website or organization that you can't cross check at not even that no just the fact that on their website they have a section about the quote-unquote myths is the word that they use Mm -hmm. about the religion which they go on to debunk and there are several of them i know so i'm skeptical of any website product business anything that has long-standing terrible allegations and rumors against them that they then publish on their website and combat. Mm -hmm. That is a red flag to me. I also think one of them is, are Jehovah's Witnesses a cult? I'm like, I feel like if you have to write that out and put it on your website. And answer that? Come on. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the child abuse allegations because they are plentiful. Mm -hmm. Um, In some of the documentaries I watched, it's addressed with various people who have also left the religion Mm -hmm. um, about how children are basically being molested left and right by the elders and anyone who tries to bring any sort of attention to it as far as law enforcement, they have somehow been able to cover a lot of it up. Um, And there's also something that I'm not sure if we had already spoken about, which is I think we talked about the two person thing. Yeah. Where like if one person says something happened and another confirms it, then it's believed. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that happening with the child abuse. Yeah. Where someone is coming out and saying this happened to me or my child. And one of the elders or somebody who belongs to the congregation is saying, no, it didn't. And someone else is backing them up to hide it. And now it's expected to just be let go because that's how it works. 
Yeah, so a lot of that, there is a two-witness rule. Mm -hmm. So when someone's going to get disfellowshipped or, you know, kicked out of the religion, um, which is the biggest form of punishment and the big thing that everyone wants to get avoid, um, there has to be two witnesses to, I guess, a sin or a crime or whatever right. you want to call it. So a lot of times with these child abuse cases, there aren't any witnesses there for that. So right. it's just the child and the perpetrator, which a lot of them, yes, are higher men in the organization or just different members in organizations in right. um, different congregations. And so since there aren't another witness to that, I don't want crime. It's not punishable. Yeah. So they can't really because hold them. Because it's almost to, like it didn't really happen. Yeah. So since they don't have two witnesses to the, um, the allegations, they can't really prove it. Right. And so a lot of times that's how things get swept under the carpet. That's so crazy. And then a lot of times too, they don't want to bring, they call it reproach on God's name. Mm -hmm. And they don't want the organization, the congregation to look bad. So a lot of times they're kind of, they're not told not to call the cops or alert the authorities, but they're not told to. Right. A lot of times they want to just hide it and keep it in behind the closed doors. Right. Of While the, literally ruining the lives of children. Yeah. For and a lot of times, of and this actually, when I had a conversation with the elders over the summer, I remember we were talking about the disfellowshipping arrangement and I was, you know, he was saying how it keeps the congregation safe. It keeps the congregation safe. And he even brought up, he was like in the, in the example of a child molester, in the art in the congregation they'd be disfellowshipped so if you know we didn't have disfellowshipping then how would we keep the congregation safe but that's wouldn't you want true. yeah but also if there was a child predator in the congregation wouldn't you want us all to know about it right you just disfellowship disfellowship them for don't they don't tell, tell you why. why right yeah and then when they're deemed repentant and they're deemed that they can come back into the congregation right yeah just forgive them everyone just forgives them that's and again, ridiculous yeah so it's just doesn't keep the congregation safe and i understand a measure of forgiveness but when it comes to something like being a child predator right you should tell all of the families in the congregation. There should be a list that's readily available of all the predators. And when this all started to come out, it was actually in Australia because some extra was witnesses or I don't know. I don't even remember if they were extra was witnesses, but they wanted to start exposing these cases. And in just Australia, they found hidden records for, I think, at least a thousand predators that were covered up in the yes, or in the I saw this. yeah and that was just in australia mm -hmm. and then they tried to bring um the witnesses to court about it and they've just been bailing themselves out of court right bailing themselves out of court and they will not release all the documents so right. if that's just in australia think about how much of it is worldwide yeah and they just do not release those because they have it all documented right of all of these cases right. but they don't release them to the authorities and isn't it so crazy that it's all about not being a part of these unclean practices mm -hmm. and all the things you have to abstain from, but yet it seems like molesting children is not one of them. Yeah. How does that make any sense? Yeah. And something that drives me crazy too is they look at that as a lesser sin than someone just leaving the religion, yeah, right. you know, because right. we hear of unforgiving their own significant other. <laughs> exactly. Things like that. Right. And, you know, they talk about unforgivable sins and it's usually sitting against the quote unquote Holy Spirit. Right. So, you know, speaking against the Holy Spirit, but something is something like um, abusing a child is forgivable enough where they don't even have to tell anyone in the congregation right. when they come back. As long as God forgave them and the elders forgave them, then yeah, they're free to come well, right back in. How the fuck do you know if God forgave exactly, them? Exactly, exactly. Who are you talking to? The voices in your head? <laughs> yeah. Give me a goddamn break. <laughs> so I also was reading that, I don't know if this is true, so clarify this, but I read that you're not allowed to date 
unless you think that you're interested in marrying the person that you're thinking of going on a date with. Yeah. And that you can't be without a chaperone until you are married. So basically, you see this person and you think that you're attracted to them, as most of us do. Mm -hmm. But most of us come to find in six months to a couple of years that that person is actually a fucking piece of shit. Mm -hmm. But you don't get that luxury because if you are a Jehovah's Witness, the only way you're going on a date is if you are letting everyone know that you have an intention to probably marry this person. And then you are bringing along a chaperone Mm -hmm. that I don't know if you choose or someone else chooses. You can choose the chaperone. Okay, and now you have a third wheel bitch Uh to go everywhere (laughs) with you until you are married. That is sick. <laughs> yeah, so that is very much true. Um, most people get married very young in the religion. Like, I can see why, was, so yeah. they can fucking be alone. Exactly. So I was one of the older people who weren't married, like among all of my friends. All my friends were married by the time we were like 23. But yeah, so you're told not to really date until you're looking to get married. So a lot of people don't date until they're around 18 or 19, which right. I guess when they deem they're okay to get married, which right. again, like you said, I, I mean, I'm sure some people it works for, but usually you're not ready to get married at 20 right. years old and you don't know what you want. And you know, they do find out eventually that they made a bad decision, but that's well into marriage and then you can't get divorced. So right. it sucks. But yeah, so I even remember when I was growing up, um, I kind of, we never really... We never made it official because right. we didn't want to like once you make once you start like a real official relationship, you're kind of expected to get engaged within the year. Right. So like that's usually why. So when you start when you yeah, start a real dating relationship, you kind of already are thinking, yes, I'm going to marry this yeah, person. You're basically engaged. Yeah, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's crazy. So I had this like, quote unquote, boyfriend. But I remember he didn't even want to. We were out with our friends one night and. I went to like go try to hold his hand mm-hmm. and in public. Right. And he texted me later on in the night and he was like, I'd really appreciate it if we didn't show any form of public, like like any PDA until we were formally engaged. He texted he you. Texted me he that. couldn't even say it to your face. <laughs> yeah. What a little bitch. I hope he's bitch. listening. Yeah. Um, he got married. He's I'm married. confused though. Like, is there a proposal? Like, no, you, there is a proposal. Do you get down on one knee? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. usually like all the friends and family are around. because yeah. Oh my God. I mm-hmm. always say I would never want that. <laughs> These bitches who I see the videos and like he gets down and they cry and then mm-hmm. the family comes running yeah, they're out. They're all like behind the bushes. To the middle of the vineyard, <laughs> galloping and they're all crying. Ugh, get the fuck away from me. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. God. So no, it's very... I mean, of course, there are always people who kind of push the rules, but of course, like anything, um, yeah, like anything. But technically, uh, according to the rules, yes, you're never really supposed to be alone until you're married. So, how much time passed between when you were thinking, "I don't think this is for me anymore. I think I want to leave," to when you actually did it? So, I'd say, like, when I really consciously was like, "I think I need to make a change." I think. And the change is probably me leaving because a lot of it was just really hard for me to admit to myself. Right. But I'd say probably like two years ago. Okay. Yeah. I remember because I was going through a really tough time mentally and I couldn't even like I had a therapist and I couldn't even admit to my therapist what was wrong. Like I couldn't really say it out loud because I knew the second I said, you know, oh, I might want to change my life and I might not want to be a Jehovah's Witness anymore. I knew that that would just saying it to myself would change my whole life. Was the therapist a Jehovah's Witness? No. Mm -mm. Which again, a lot of times therapy for Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of people are against it. I can see why. Yeah, Yeah. Which again, I, my family was never really that against it. My mom's in therapy too. Um, My dad is, he's not a big therapy believer, but whatever. 
But that's um, normal. Like people yeah. either are or they aren't. Mm-hmm. In- but they're not in the type of, right. oh, you went to therapy. That's why you're leaving the religion. Like they're not like those people. They're okay. pretty good, reasonable people. Okay. Um. So yeah, I couldn't even admit to my therapist at the time. Um. But then I remember I finally kind of admitted to myself, hey, I might not believe in God. That's kind of where I started from. Okay. And it wasn't even um, all of the horrible things in the organization that really like kind of woke me up to this. It was more of just the fact that I couldn't really... Um, understand in my head how there could only be one truth because that's something that we're told since we're young that this is the only truth there is and I remember just saying to myself like even from a young age that doesn't make any sense right. like how how did we find it why was I you, you know mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of where I started and then I remember I actually told my parents um, that I might not believe in God like a year before I actually formally left the religion. Right. And it was horrible. Right. <laughs> My mom's reaction was insane. Right. Um, but I understand, you know, because that's their whole life and that's of course. their whole hope for the future. So when they hear that their daughter is kind of rejecting right. that, you know, it's life shattering for Sinner. them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of pushed that all away and kind of just went back into the swing of things for around a year. And in that time I did move out, which I think kind of, like very much uh, assisted in the process because right. then I was on my own and there right. wasn't anyone kind of over my shoulder making sure I was, you know, reading the Bible and, and studying. That must have felt and great. Yeah, I did live with a Jehovah's Witness at the time, but again, it was very different. So once I was on my own, once I graduated from college, I took my boards, I got licensed, and my life was finally more just there wasn't any outside big stressors at the time. Right. And I really could just focus on what it is I wanted for my future. It was a very quick process where I remember, um, I started reaching out to some of my friends who had also left the religion who I lost touch with because of the fact that they had left. Mm -hmm. And I went and I spent a day with one of my old best friends. And, you know, we never had lost touch, but we weren't hanging out. And it was on me because they had left the religion and I was still in it. Mm -hmm. And so our friendship very much changed. But of course, he welcomed me right back in. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and I remember I kind of voiced some of my concerns to him and some of my doubts and he was exactly what I needed he just was there for me he didn't push me either way he kind of gave me a few resources or what that I could look into when I was ready and like you know some YouTubers and ex-Jehovah's Witness content Mm -hmm. um and I remember he gave me a few uh, references and there's this one account Lloyd Evans on YouTube Mm -hmm. and I remember I came home that day I like typed it into google which i was like shaking i was so <laughs> nervous about it because again it was like apostate yeah, material just and, to see it yeah just to see it. and yeah. i never allowed myself to just google right. jehovah's witnesses like Crazy. my whole life so i finally did and i was up for like four days like i couldn't stop <laughs> you know it was like a complete rabbit hole oh, of no. every sort of like question i've ever wondered and like reading all of these things that debunk a lot of right. the beliefs i held my whole life as true um, Which must be difficult in itself. It was like, like it was completely like life altering. Yeah, realize yeah. that you no longer believe in the things that you've been taught and somewhat believed in yourself mm-hmm. your entire life so yeah. far, and you're in your mid twenties at this no, point. It was crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, and then everything after that happened really quickly. I was like, I don't want to be in this religion, and I don't want to fake it anymore, and I want to just move on with my life. So I remember I told a few of my friends. Um, I told my family. My family. What was that like? really bad <laughs> yeah sounds like it. um yeah i mean again it, it it all turned out a lot better than i thought because me and my family we have a great relationship now i mean i don't speak to any of my old friends and um anyone else in the religion except for family but i knew that was going to happen i was right. kind of prepared for right. it already so 
um the way i kind of broached it with my friends was um i told a few of them and i remember i did it all in the same day because word travels fast yeah so i wanted honestly, just get it all out exactly yeah. so i kind of wanted like the people who i wanted to hear from me i told all in the same day and i kind of was like oh so yeah i'm not going to be going to meetings anymore i'm not going to be I didn't say I wasn't a Jehovah's Witness anymore, but I kind of just said, you know, when you say I'm not going to meetings, I'm not doing service anymore, they get the point. Right. Um, and I was like, and I know that our relationship will probably have to change because of that, but just so you know, like, I love you, I'm here for you, and we could, you know, have any sort of relationship that you feel comfortable with. Right. Um, Which is the mature way to handle I it. I thought it was mature, yeah. but I heard from some people that it was cowardly. Oh, give me a break. Yeah, stupid things like that. You know what's cowardly? Texting someone that you don't want to hold their hand until you're engaged. <laughs> That's cowardly. So shut True. the fuck up. <laughs> yeah so none of them took me up on the offer but um did any of them try to convince you to come back um or anyone in general well more family i'd say but a lot of them just all because the way i presented it was i already figured this out right you know it wasn't like oh i'm having doubts it was no this is what i've decided yeah so a lot of my friends were like i know who you are i know i'm not going to sit here and try to convince you to stay you know things like that um, but a lot of like aunts and um, family members, they took me out and like we had discussions where they tried to answer some of my questions. But yeah. What about your grandma? Does she still send you crazy emails? <laughs> my grandma? You don't have um, to talk about that if you don't want to. No, no, we can. But yeah, when I first left, she was sending me insane emails. I want to almost pull some of them up. But, <laughs> you know, she'd be like, what do you want? Do you want to live free and be independent? Or do you want a family? And do you want life? And oh I'd be like, God. I don't know. Leave me alone. I don't know. I want to go out and experience the world. <laughs> but yeah, she would send me all of these um, really intense Bible-filled emails. But I eventually told her to stop. Because it was just, you know, not the first thing I wanted to wake up to every morning. Right. So mm-hmm. we talked about during this time period when you were out, mm-hmm. because that's when I met you. Yeah. Um, we talked about how, I remember this one conversation we had where we, I think it was you who said it. You were like, it's kind of like being a teenager. Yeah. And growing up all over again. Yeah. Because you're living this crazy restricted life and then you're, what did we say you were, 25 at the time? Yeah, I was 25 going on 17, I right. think you said. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, right. So here you are for the first time, like, outside of this box that you've been kept in, mm-hmm. free to do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. But that's what most people experience when they go to college away from home mm-hmm. at 18. Yeah, I definitely did feel a little, I do feel a little stunted mm-hmm. by, but in certain ways, you know, I do still feel like... I feel like in some ways it made me grow up really quickly mm-hmm. and I'm very mature in a lot of ways that I maybe wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, I haven't gone through so many experiences that other people my age have right. and having to get into the world now with my limited amount of experience in a lot of things right. is a little, I don't want to, I, I feel like I came off as, or I am coming off as very naive to the world. Okay. So yeah. Right. Which can mm-hmm. be dangerous. Which can be dangerous, but you know. Yeah, but you're smart. I, I I'd like to think. Yeah, I'm smart. you're not stupid. Yeah, but I definitely did feel a little stunted by it. Like, yeah, well, I do. there's things you missed out on, mm-hmm. and experiences that when you're talking to other people who are 25, 26 years yeah. old, you're having these experiences for the first time. I when, went on my first like real unchaperoned date at, as like a 25 year old. Right. Yeah. And these are things that mm-hmm. the people that you're making friends with in this, you know, these worldly people, as mm-hmm. they call them now 
have have been doing forever yeah. you know for 10 years mm-hmm. almost and i feel like when people hear it they're like oh that's so cute and i'm like i don't want to be cute right. i just want to be I, I just you know be a normal, ass a normal bitch. yeah adult but yeah but yeah. you know what i feel like from our perspective as people who were not involved in something like that we're almost envious like sometimes mm. i think about recently because i'm 29 turning 30 and i'm reflecting a lot of my 20s mm-hmm. they, there's always that thing where you say i wish i knew then what i know now and I wish I could go back with that knowledge. Yeah. And usually it's a fucking 65 year old man that says that to you. Yeah. But I'm already starting to feel that. I don't regret anything. I don't think there's a lot of things I would change because everything teaches you a lesson, I believe. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like crack, maybe skip that lesson. <laughs> um, but I feel like I wish I could experience certain things for the first time with the knowledge and mindset I have now and really appreciate them and enjoy them in a way that I took for granted because I was a young idiot. Yeah. And I feel like that is a positive way for you to look at it because you get to do that. There's always positives. Like you could always look at the bright side of things. Well, not everyone can. Yeah. Mm, But no, that is a good way to look at it. But I almost, in my head, I'm envious, obviously. Yeah. But everybody wants what they can't have. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I just think that you can appreciate the experiences more. Yeah for the first experiences mm-hmm. and i don't have to make all of do. those stupid mistakes that a lot of people make when they are teenagers no yeah, yeah you're so. past that point yeah but you know sometimes i'm like did i want to maybe i wanted to make those mistakes well <laughs> yeah there's there's always a different way you mm-hmm. can look at it in a different lens you can look through yeah uh, and those things teach you stuff yeah and are you going to unknowingly make those mistakes now even though you're older and more mature because you're not experienced with whatever topic it is mm-hmm. you never know yeah so it's gonna we'll be a say. fucking wild ride i know but i feel like i have really grown up a lot and like come into my own in the last year yeah so yeah Yeah. so when you moved out you moved in with somebody who was still a part of Mm -hmm. the religion yes and then that bitch left yeah like a week after i told her i was leaving religion and then Mm -hmm. how long did you live in that apartment for alone uh i've been here since august oh it was this apartment yeah uh uh-huh oh yeah maybe that's why my equipment was making Uh getting fucked up this place is haunted maybe she left back like some bad (laughs) vibes i saged it okay so you moved in here so now you're packing up this apartment Mm -hmm. so if you look around in this apartment she is i think it's really funny like because we made the decision to keep you anonymous we haven't once said a name i know i just keep referring to you as she (laughs) Uh uh-huh um so she's packing up her apartment to move to brooklyn yeah which is going to be a whole nother adventure it's like your third life start over (laughs) but you've lived here now for over Over a year year, and then since august alone so right yeah about a year yes almost um, a little short of a year Mm -hmm. so does this place feel emotional for you to leave yeah like do you feel attached to this place no i do because of where you came from and what it was yeah i was even just talking about that to one of my friends like i feel like my life changed so much in this apartment right and it's even it's harder to leave this apartment than it was to leave my own home i feel the same way yeah yeah because i just feel like i had so many firsts in this apartment i completely changed who i was i you know i had my first holiday party here and i had all of my friends come over um and just a lot of really great memories and even just like the memory of like waking up to all of that indoctrination and all of that brainwashing like yeah. happened in this apartment yeah, yeah. i don't know i just feel like my life changed so much here 100 percent. so i really am thankful for the time i had here and i'm definitely gonna look back at it like fondly i moved out of my first apartment i moved in when i was 22 
I moved out when I was 27 turning 28 because mm-hmm. my landlord sold during COVID. Bastards. <laughs> um, and I loved that apartment. Mm-hmm. And I moved into that apartment after like a really tumultuous situation with my family. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like walked out of my house one day and never came back. Wow. And just like couch surfed at family members until I found an apartment. Um, so like moving into that place was my first sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like grew up there, but on my own. Yeah. And I experienced the majority of my twenties. Every person I ever dated had been in that apartment because there's only been three, um, you know, like serious relationships. Mm-hmm. And I got my cat that I have, will have forever because they live for fucking ever there. You know, like my first Christmas tree on my own, all mm-hmm. the stupid shit, but then all the important shit. Like people have come in and, uh, in and out of my life as far as friendships, relationships. And there was just so much growth and so much emotion and a lot of pain and a lot of happiness that the day I moved out of that apartment... The only thing that was left, it was so funny, was the couch. Mm-hmm. So when I moved in, there was this shithole coffee table that the guy left and a couch. And I was 22, so I was like, I was poor. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, yeah, leave the couch. I'll, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. And I never got rid of the couch. And I always meant to, but it felt like it was part of the place. Yeah. And I never got rid of the table. So on the last day, I sat in the same spot I sat on the first day and took the same picture of like the hallway Aww. from the couch perspective. And when I tell you, I sat on that couch for like a good hour and sobbed, like Aww. not like teared, like mm-hmm. audibly sobbed like a fucking bitch. And I'm not a crier, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's just like it was something about that place, like kind of saving my life yeah. and changing it for the better that I felt so connected to the space and it was so hard to leave. Yeah, I definitely, if I didn't move out, I don't think I would have left the religion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you never know, but I don't think it would have happened as quickly as it did because being home with my family, it just kept me so in it every day. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I really found, like you said, like a good deal of freedom in this space. So yeah, I I really, yeah, I feel the most free I ever have living here. I think people underestimate how much a new space can do mm. that for you. But I'm actually really excited to just get into a new area. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that will be even more freeing. Well, not you can living start in, over. Yeah. And you don't have to run into any of these people mm-hmm. that are being judgmental. Yeah. Cause some part of me living here too in the end was like, I don't like the fact that all of those people right. in my old life, you know, they all like memories of them being here too. Yeah. Like I, I'm excited to start fresh in a brand new space, right. completely fresh. Right. Yeah. And you've worked through some shit at this point too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're also starting fresh, mm-hmm. you know? No, definitely. Um, so I know that it's very well known that Jehovah witnesses do not celebrate holidays. Mm-hmm. So when you bounce, what was the first holiday that you celebrated? My birthday. Really? Mm-hmm. For the first time? Yeah, because it was only a few weeks after because I left in July. My birthday was in August. And that was 26? Uh, 25. 25. Yeah. So I technically was 24 when okay. I left, but I turned 25. Um, what did you do? We, Me and a couple of my friends, we just went out to um, one of my favorite bars. We got a few drinks. Mm-hmm. And then one of my best friends actually threw me like a little first birthday party. That's cute. And she got like fir- like year one balloons and yeah. like, you know, little hats. And it was really cute. So, yeah. you know, because it was my first. Yeah, birthday. of course. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So it was really cute. But yeah, I celebrated all of the holidays this year. I was really excited Christmas? about them. Christmas. What yeah. What was that like? It was really nice. I went to one of my friend's house. Her family invited me over for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that was really nice. And then I celebrated Halloween. I went out with uh, my manager and her kids. We actually went trick or treating. Mm-hmm. I dressed up like a fairy. Cute. <laughs> it was cute. Cute. Um, what you should have dressed up as Satan. I should have. <laughs> so they all could have seen it. <laughs> or a, a picture. Big, a big globe and call yourself a worldly bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year. Next year. Very <laughs> good. October will be here. Uh-huh. It's right around the corner. These are all very good ideas. Um, <laughs> I'll yeah. be Satan. You be the world. <laughs> <laughs> I did Thanksgiving. Yeah, Love I did it. all of them. It was good. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what interest level do you have in finding yourself another religion? Um, so definitely like zero yeah. um but at first i was uh i rejected like all types of spirituality right um and i went through a really big um almost like a nihilist like nothing matters yeah well now you've got crystals everywhere and i know plants so clearly you found some sort of spirituality. now i'm getting into like more spiritual things but and it was hard in the beginning and again this happened quickly but right. for the first few months after it was almost like you know, this wasn't true. So nothing's true. Like there's no meaning. I don't want to think of a meaning. I don't even want to think of the afterlife. I don't want to think of anything. Um, But that was pretty depressing. And now I'm kind of, um, I'm allowing myself to believe in things again, but under my own terms. And I also feel like, yeah, I'll never really, do I ever think I'll submit myself to a belief system so completely that that is what I see as my truth. Right. No, because I don't really think there is one truth. And I feel like that was the f- most freeing aspect of re- leaving this religion um, for me at least. But I do think it is, you know, it's nice to explore other different belief systems and explore spirituality and explore, right. you know, why I think I'm on this earth, but I don't ever really see myself joining another religion or really getting into anything completely right yeah and there's also so much that you can design your own relationship with yeah and do things at your own capacity Mm -hmm. like you could always go to church if you felt like you wanted to but that doesn't mean that you need to do it every sunday you could always you know pray to whatever you Mm -hmm. believe in but that doesn't mean you have to do it in a in a church with stained glass windows yeah i think people forget that like you can design your own relationship with whatever god you believe in and whatever religion you choose mm-hmm. and sometimes people dip in and out and that's okay yeah it doesn't have to be all or nothing exactly you know? and that's kind of how i feel like i don't think i'm ever going to be all in with something again right. but i might you know i'm trying to dabble into yeah. different belief systems see what everything's like. See what everything's like well yeah. i also think it's so interesting too that like there's so many different religions and everyone believes that theirs is the right one exactly but somebody has to be wrong mm-hmm. a lot of people have to be wrong i think everyone's Mm, I agree. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Not everyone's wrong, but I don't think there is just this one. I don't big... think anyone's got it 100%. No, right. no, we're people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I think it's very pompous and arrogant to kind of, as a human being, be like, I have it all figured out. Yeah. And also, like, stories that you're reading that were told so long ago, mm-hmm. we don't know exactly where that came yeah. from. Yeah. And people who take the Bible so literally, like, Bible literalists. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I love when they say things like, about modern day stuff that I'm like, what? When they're like, oh, the Bible says you're not supposed to have tattoos. Oh, really? Really? Did they have tattoo guns back then? Where in the Bible does it say that? <laughs> yeah, I And know. how did they know that was going to happen? <laughs> like, are you just making that up? Uh-huh. When was this written? <laughs> it confuses me. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, do you feel like you made the right decision? And is there anything you would change about the process of leaving if you could go back? In hindsight, yes, I definitely made the right decision. I think it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, But would I change anything? (laughs) The only thing I would change, I just, yeah. I actually texted my mom 
that I was leaving the religion. Oh, that's... <laughs> Which was shitty. Speaking of cowardly. <laughs> that was a coward move. Yeah, but... <laughs> I kind of... The way I left, it was very intense and all at once. Mm-hmm. I, and I definitely didn't really consider people's feelings as much because it was just so intense for me and I just needed everyone to know and I needed a complete right. clean break. Right. In hindsight, I may have done it a little, like, you know, just kind of eased into it a little bit more yeah. and kind of wasn't all all or nothing with it because I was very much like I was in the religion I was in the religion I was in the religion and then and one day out. I was like everyone bye right so I was a little intense about that part okay. but do I really would I really go back and change it no because I wouldn't want to do it again right yeah. yeah but no it was definitely the right decision and I'm very happy with the decision I made and I'm so much happier where I am in my life right now yeah. even than I I was a year ago what are you looking forward to in the future now that you are out on your own like what are your goals over the next couple of years as you like reestablish your life outside of the religion um well something like again this is a more long-term goal but i'm actually excited to start my own family one Mm -hmm. day and kind of give them the life that i felt like i didn't get right which i know a lot of people always kind of not in that like specific religious aspect but but for different reasons for different reasons but i'm very excited to you know have my own child and help them grow up in a grow up in an environment where they could believe whatever they want as long as they're not hurting anyone right give them all of those memories you know like different holidays and birthdays and just you know get let them get involved as much as they want in school and as much as they want in extracurriculars and just give them you know give them the very open-minded loving environment that i feel like i wish i grew up in so right. yeah that's something I'm i'm excited to almost kind of start my own family and do it the way I wanted to and kind of make all of those memories with a new family. That sounds bad. No, it makes sense with your own family. <laughs> with my own family, yeah. yeah maybe right. the new family part Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but Whatever. that's like, I new feel family. like... New family. New yeah. family, I like it. Bye. Mm-hmm, bye. No, I love my family, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Start something of your own mm-hmm. and do it the way you want to. Yeah, but... So that's more of a long-term goal. And then in the, t- like the time being, I don't know, just have the freedom to do what I want. And yeah. And not have to always think about everything I do in this big grand scheme of what does this mean in the grand scheme of the end of the world? You yeah. know what I mean? Almost. But right. yeah, just be able to take every day as it comes. Not make all the mistakes people are expecting to me to make. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Right. And have lots of sex yeah. before you end up with someone <laughs> and have a family uh-huh. because you missed out on that. Yeah, I did. And it's a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the time is now. <laughs> the time is now. <laughs> the time is now. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here in your own living room. Thank you for having me. Without your couch. Yeah, I know we're on the floor. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I think I'm really excited about this conversation. And I feel like it's so interesting and very informative I think that there's someone out there who will listen to this that in some capacity they'll be dealing with some kind of situation that this could help them out and maybe give them a sort of a push to change their lifestyle around if they feel like they're trapped. Um, And I think it's really brave of you to speak about it. And I think it really shows that your emotional intelligence and how you've handled and grasped the situation that you can sit here and talk about it with such ease. And it shows how much you've really worked through it. And I'm proud of you for that. Thank you. I think that that's really important. And you're very mature in the way that you've handled it. Thank you. That means a lot. But yeah, I hope that I hope someone listening can benefit from this and just know that, you know, again, if it's not the same exact situation, but 
things do get better. Like it obviously was very hard in the beginning and it still is hard in a lot of ways, but every day it gets easier and every day I'm more convinced that it was the right decision. And it's important to live your life the way you want to. And Mm -hmm. people seem to forget that. Yeah. And we only really have this one guaranteed life, you know? So now that it almost feels like I've taken back control of my life and I get to live it now how I want to. Right. Yeah. And not live it for something else, live it for someone else. Exactly. Yeah. I love Mm -hmm. that. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this conversation. And if you didn't go fuck yourself. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So let's just have a little wrap up conversation here. This is the, is it the ep- prologue? What's first? Epilo- what comes at the end? I, I don't know. This is a motherfucking conclusion. Okay. I'm not a goddamn scholar here. I immerse myself in things I want to talk about, right? Like I'm never going to be the person who wants to talk about something like this, like for this example, a religion that I've never been a part of. And I'm listening to one person's account of their experience. I'm never going to be the person who just takes one person's story or opinion at face value to then form my own opinions or conclusions, you know, not to invalidate her experience or say that it isn't 100% true because it is. I'm just saying that I'm not going to form my opinion based on one person's story, no matter how well I know them and no matter how true I know it to be. I'm still going to do my own investigative work. So me being Nancy fucking Drew goes undercover. Okay. Well, actually, Nancy Drew always told you who she was she always said i'm nancy drew so maybe i was more like borat in the sequel at the jewish temple (laughs) i want to be a jehovah's witness very nice um ew disgusting i can't i'm not good at that um anyway i decided (laughs) after i had spent hours on the computer doing research okay i read a lot of forums like i had said in the interview before where people discuss their experiences of leaving jehovah's witness and what their experience was like before they had and all that shit disfellowshipping everything we talked about i read about then i watched some documentaries um that were produced by various networks where they would interview people like i did about their experience and about what had happened since they left i watched a lot of that stuff as well but i decided i wanted to really take it a step further right because i just thought to myself what is it like when you walk into a kingdom hall <laughs> as your sinner self a worldly person and tell them that you want to be cleansed and you want to join their little fucking club how are they going to react okay especially when they hate the homos and here comes me a big fat fag and they hate tattoos and here comes me with tattoos on my hands my arms my everything okay my pierced ears that they can't fucking stand you know i'm just living this unclean life and it's very evident so i decided i was going to stop in there okay so i'm all dressed up. I had traffic court. Let's not talk about that. We already did. So I said to myself, you know, I look like a decently dressed human being today. I don't look too bad. I don't look like I've committed too many sins separate from my tattoos, right? So let's just pop in there and see what they say. So I stopped at my local Kingdom Hall, which was about 10 minutes from my house. And guess what happened? Nothing, because nobody was there, because apparently they only use the Kingdom Hall on their days of their meetings or worship or whatever it is that they do. And it was not that day. So I saw a sign on the door that said Monday and some other day. And usually they do Sundays and a midweek. I don't know. But Monday was like some sort of makeup or exception, whatever. So I said, I'm coming back here to these motherfuckers. 
So I get up the day I'm supposed to go to Kingdom Hall and I'm like, let me get all dressed up. And then I said, you know what? Actually, fuck it. Let's really get into this. Let's really see what happens when you show up like a normal ass person. So I'm just going to dress how I would normally fucking dress on a Monday when I was going to the goddamn Target. Okay. So I put on a hooded sweatshirt with like some weird graphic shit that definitely looked like the devil. I put on my normal fucking jeans and a hat. And I marched myself into Kingdom Hall, okay? So I get in the parking lot, and I'm looking around, and there's a lot of Amish-looking people, okay? They're very homely in the way that they appear and dress. Nothing too spectacular. Although it's real fucking funny how everybody's giving away all their goddamn money, and there's lots of BMWs and fucking brand-new Jeeps in the parking lot, okay? And you can tell who's really committed and who's not, because you got the BMWs in the Jeeps, and then you got the motherfuckers pulling up in the 1999 pickup truck. And those are the people you know are giving all their money to the cause so at least if nothing else they're fucking committed so i'm sitting in the car i'm looking around at all these people i'm looking at them greet each other and they're just weird like i could just see they're weird right and i'm not a shook bitch i don't get nervous but i was feeling super fucking weird so i called my guest and i'm like yo i'm about to go in on the inside and i feel really fucking weird and nervous about this and i don't know why i don't know what to expect and she was like don't be nervous they're not gonna be like that up front she was like they're gonna try to get you to stay and they're going to try to fucking suck you in and then six months later when you've joined their community and you feel like they've accepted you they're going to be like oh by the way you can't be a homo anymore you got to break up with your boyfriend and take out your piercings and I said well what about tattoos and she said it's not really a thing if you had tattoos before it's not like they're not going to let you into their religion but it's a marking and an indicator that you used to live an unclean life that wasn't pure and people will definitely judge you for it, but it's not like they're not going to let you in. It's not like that kind of requirement. So I was like, all right, fuck it, let's do it. So I walk in and there's a speaker, like a person speaking up in their fucking, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's not a church. I don't know. But they're all in their fucking room in the back having their meeting. And then there's a hallway. It actually reminded me of like a fucking funeral home. And these two guys in suits are standing by the door and they greet you. So I talked to this guy, John. He's an older gentleman in a suit. And I was like, hi, (laughs) it's me. I'm gay to be a Jehovah. (laughs) Gay for Jehovah. That's the new cult. So I say to John, I'm like, listen, you know, I'm just like exploring a new avenue of spirituality. I'm not really a Catholic anymore. I'm looking for something new. So, you know, I just wanted to come in and get some information, see if there's someone that I could talk to about possibly joining your congregation. So he gives me this pamphlet. First of all, he says, what's your name? So I said, uh, James. <laughs> I was not about to give those people my real name so they could track my life. I was like, oh, uh, James. And he was like, what's your last name? Weird question. Weird question. So I give him a fake last name too, whatever I could think of on the spot. <laughs> so he kept addressing me by my name and I don't know why it made me feel weird, but he kept calling me my fake name, James, the whole time I was there, like seven fucking times he kept saying my name. Like, what, what are you doing? Are you trying to develop some like weird psychology shit? Like we have a personal relationship, so I feel comfortable with you and you could tell me not to be a fag anymore and to fucking laser off all my tattoos. What are you talking about? So he gives me this brochure that I take home and his card, because apparently these elders have business cards. So he gives me the fucking thing in the card, and he's like, you can look through this information, or you can stay for our meeting. And I was like, not about to walk in there at that moment. I was like, "Mm -mm, I'll come back. I'll do this another day. I'm going to dress a little more appropriately so people will be a little more receptive, because if they're standoffish, 
they're not going to talk to me and I'm not going to get any information. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm on my way to um, an appointment. And I was on my way to do session two with my guests. I was like, I'm on my way to an appointment. Uh, I can't really stay today, but I'll definitely come back. When's your next one? He tells me Sunday. So I'm like, all right, I'll definitely come back on Sunday. So he goes, if you have a Bible, bring it. Bitch, does my gay ass look like I have a goddamn Bible chilling? Do I look like I'm sitting around reading the motherfucking New Testament? Thou shall not covet thou motherfucker's wife. I'm not coveting nobody's wife, okay? You don't got to worry about me when it comes to your wife. Do I look like I am sitting around reading the motherfucking Bible? The answer is no. So I leave. And I plan to come back Sunday. Sunday, I wake up to my alarm and I'm like, all right, we got to do it. We got to go see the Jehovah's. And apparently I accidentally laid back down (laughs) and fell back asleep and missed the fucking meeting. So instead, I went and I did a meeting on the Internet. Okay, I virtually attended a Jehovah's Witness meeting. And honestly, every piece of literature, everything that's accessible from the outside world is not anything that I heard from my guest and is not anything that I read from other people's accounts, okay? Nothing that is outward facing, like I mentioned the website. The pamphlet he gave me was literally uh, basically just screenshots of the website or, or various web pages that were screen capped and edited into a fucking booklet. And honestly, with all the money that you're fucking stealing from people, okay, all the money that you're taking out of these Jehovah's pockets, you can't get a goddamn real pamphlet drawn up. I'm reading through this pamphlet and there's literally screens that are videos. Like, you know, when a video is paused on a website or you haven't started playing it yet and there's that little fucking play button that you hover over and then you click it. Those are in the images in the booklet and it says click here to play this video. What kind of low budget ass shit is this? You spent $1 billion on real estate in one year and you can't afford a real company to make you a real professional brochure to try to lure these unstable people into your congregation? Give me a motherfucking break, okay? Spend some money where it counts, okay? Because you better believe if you gave me a gold-plated scripture to read, I might have ended up there at a meeting and I might have fucking signed my life over. (laughs) Do something enticing, you fucking bitch. So anyway, this pamphlet that he gave me really just like talks about the Bible. It doesn't say anything about these weird rules and these weird practices. You know, I mentioned the blood transfusion thing, but we didn't really get into that specifically in the interview. You're literally not allowed to get a blood transfusion if you are a Jehovah's Witness, because I don't know, mixing the blood and the unclean blood and all this shit is apparently not allowed according to Jehovah. And they give all these excuses and how, oh, well, anything that a blood transfusion is needed for, there's other alternatives. Um, not all the time. If you're losing fucking blood and you need more blood, I don't know what the alternative that you think has been created by science, but I don't think we have one yet. So people have literally died. Like I've watched these documentaries and there was this one story I saw where a woman was like the power of attorney or something over her daughter. Um, And they said that she needed a blood transfusion to save her life, basically. And I'm not telling the story correctly because I don't remember what the injury was or what the extent of the situation was. But for some reason, she needed a blood transfusion in the hospital to, to save her life. And the mother, who was the power of attorney, 
said no like she can't get the blood transfusion and if she dies basically well then that's what god wanted i'm sorry what and she did she died she died because she didn't get the blood transfusion because this woman was so deep in belief of what these people preach that she let her own fucking daughter die like that's crazy that's a new level of fucking sick and sad honestly So I don't know where that all comes from, what their thing is with the blood transfusions and why they think they should be meddling into people's life and health that way, but it's fucking crazy to me. Their publications that they hand out just don't say anything about this. None of the weird rules, nothing about the disfellowshipping, nothing about how if you don't do the right thing, you will be disfellowshipped and then your fucking family and anyone who belongs to this religion is not allowed to speak to you anymore. Like, they don't tell you any of that up front. It just looks like a church from this stuff that the information that they give you when you're inquiring about it. It just looks like any normal fucking worship. So it's very misleading. Everything that they produce about themselves is extremely misleading. And then when you look at any other account and you can literally find thousands and thousands and thousands of people online, anywhere, they have like literal dedicated groups for it on various platforms. You can find all of these horror stories that people have told after they've left. And then this booklet and this website that I'm going to for information says nothing about any of that and nothing about the lunacy that will be required and expected of you. It's insane. So I went down to Kingdom Hall and I went onto the enemy's turf (laughs) and I came out alive, unscathed and still fucking gay. Yeah. So then I, I did the meeting virtually because I didn't make it to the other one. And it was the same thing. It's all about the Bible. It's all about God. It's all about donate your time because that's more important than your money. But they don't tell you that they still want to take all your fucking money anyway. So it's all about your time until it comes to asking for the money. It's so crazy to me. It's so misleading. It's so manipulative. And after hours and hours and hours of research for like two weeks, I have concluded that this is a literal cult, okay? This is a literal cult, and you should stay as far a fucking way from it as you can. Do not deny the blood transfusions if you were in the hospital and you needed to save your life, okay? Do not cut off your family members because they don't agree with your opinions and they might have different ideas. Do not molest children in your fucking religious congregation, you loser, douche, asshole pieces of shit. What is wrong with you touching little boys? Why? I don't understand it. Absolutely fucking disgusting. Ruining children's lives. Ruining children for the rest of their fucking lives. And then trying to cover it up so you don't get exposed for the sick fucking bastards that you are. There is nothing that disgusts me more than fucking pedophiles disgraceful they should hang them upside down and fucking burn them sorry i'm very passionate about saving children (laughs) so that's that this was such an informative episode to record like just to record it and prepare for it and listen to the stories and go down to the kingdom hall and watch the meeting online and interact with people briefly like it really was such an eye-opening informative process and I'm really happy I did it the way I did it because I gained so much knowledge and perspective instead of just like instead of just being judgmental which I already was about the fact that they go door to door and knock on people's doors and they try to convince you to join their religion and they dress weird and they're kind of weird people instead of just like 
doing the surface level judgmental shit, I got to really dive into what it was and learn so much. And I, I, like I said earlier, I really came to realize that the people who are involved with it, for the most part, the regular members who attend the meetings and live their life by this religion because of what they're reading and being told, they really aren't bad people. They really do seem to believe that they're doing the right thing and that something terrible is going to happen to wipe out the majority of the population of the earth and they're going to be saved and they're in turn trying to bring you to the light to see what they see and you'll also be saved. They really do believe that they're going to help you survive Armageddon and move into this paradise earth where everyone's going to live forever and be happy and never get sick and never need blood transfusions and hopefully never fucking molest children again. But that's the hypocrisy of it because I don't understand how you believe that everybody's going to be so clean, pure, and beautiful with no more sickness and badness in this new world when your own fucking leaders are the ones who are molesting children. So I don't understand how that works. There's only so many times that a bunch of different people from all different places can say the same thing before you have to stop denying that it's not true, right? If I, t if I tell you right now, this is what happened, this is true, I saw it. I'm either A, telling the truth, or B, lying. It's a 50-50 chance. However, if I tell you something, and then someone from fucking Connecticut tells you the same thing, and someone from down the fucking street from your grandma tells you the same thing is happening, okay? All these people from all different places are telling you this is happening. I don't understand logically. I understand that you're following your religion, and you don't want to believe that that's true. But when all these people are telling you from all these different places, this is happening, it happened to me, or this is happening, I saw it happen, everyone's not lying. Everyone is not making up the same story. It just wouldn't make sense. So at some point, as much as I believe that these people are well-intentioned for the most part, and as much as I believe they're a little naive, maybe a little brainwashed, and maybe a little sheltered, at some point you got to wake the fuck up. At some point you got to wake the fuck up and realize I'm a part of something that is not okay. I am a part of something that is taking advantage of me and others. And you have to wake the fuck up and say, this is not right. And that's what happens to people like my guests and thousands of other people. They wake up and they realize, or they've spent years realizing slowly, this is not right. This is not okay. I have to go. So I would like to once again thank my guest for being here on the show and being so open and honest and carefree about telling the details because like we talked about, this is a really, really serious subject when it comes to everything that this person does and says has the potential to bite her in the ass when it comes to her relationship with her family, because she has not technically been disfellowshipped just because she left. So I don't know, and she doesn't know, as, as she talked to me about, I don't remember if we talked about it in the episode or in an outside conversation, but if she is actually formally disfellowshipped, she doesn't know what's going to happen with her family. Right now, she doesn't know, well, is, does my family have a relationship with me because I'm not disfellowshipped? And would they still have a relationship with me if I was? She doesn't know what that looks like. So I think it takes real balls of her to be so strong and feel like it's so important for her to tell this story to whoever will listen, while at the same time not knowing whether or not the risk is worth the reward, not knowing if she's going to do or say something that's going to put her in a place 
that ruins her relationship with her family, the last people she has left from her former life. So thank you to my guest. Thank you to everyone who sat through this and listened to it. And I hope everyone enjoyed. I am going (laughs) to live my unclean life somewhere. And who knows, maybe I'll do some real gay shit tonight just to get all of this religious stench off of me. Woo! (laughs) All right, I'll see you hoes next week. Next Wednesday it is. Make sure you're following all the shit. I don't have the time to go through it today. Follow the fucking shit. Leave the review. Don't fuck with me, okay? Because I might just infiltrate your place of worship next and beat your ass. (laughs) Goodbye. We'll be right back.